tuned in. To Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome along to the Saturday edition of the Weekend Variety Wireless. Happens to be the last. Don't worry, we've got a cracking show as we go full Thelma and Louise over the cliff. Um, a few things, neat discoveries and great guests from the past, as well as plenty of fresh stuff as well. James Crute is in, having a look at the time when the bounty came to New Zealand and how exciting it was. Check out the lineup in the in that movie, it's just astounding. Max Cryer is answering your questions on words, their origin and meaning. After 11 o'clock, I'm going to indulge in, well, I rate it as my favourite interview of the whole time I've been on Radio Live. John, when John Cooper Clark said, all right, I'll come in and play some records. Um, man, it was just like he had no idea he was being interviewed, which is such a good way to approach things. Thinking I ain't a bad... I'm not a bad singer, I mean, I can carry a tune, you know what I mean? Mm. I used to go around, and I wasn't ashamed to burst into song wherever I went. And then I got a tape recorder and listened to what I actually sounded like. Uh, God, that was the... That was the most miserable day of my life. <laughs> but you've grown find, into it now. Finding out that I couldn't sit, you know, that, that, do I really sit? Why didn't you tell me I sounded like that when I said I would never have opened my fucking mouth? <laughs> John Cooper Clark, after 11 o'clock, it's a cracker. Press record. Science this hour, as usual. Astronomy with Grant Christie. And after this commercial break, Sean Hendy with the Science Report, the biggest science stories of 2018. Ah. Weekend Variety. Wireless. Physicist Sean Hendy for the last Science Report. It's been going a while, and I've got to give um, a bit of a salute to all the years Vicky Hyde. Uh, covered the slot as well. She was marvellous. Yeah. Lovely to have you, Sean, physicist. Well, yeah, it's been a you know, really great fun for the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, really disappointed that it's that it's it's leaving. So um, Oh, well. Um, I will miss this. Thank I'll you miss our much. chats, Graham. Yeah, I'll miss <laughs> them too, because that's... Um, I, I think I mentioned it with um, quite a few of our correspondents. Just from a selfish point of view... I feel like I'm on top of things much more than I would be otherwise. Yeah, I yeah. bloody hope so, because well, that's the purpose of it. No, that's right. And also, also, it's a good excuse for me to just keep abreast of, of a wider portfolio of science than I normally would. Um, oh, good and keep keep tabs on things that I wouldn't necessarily be watching day to day. So yeah. it's been, it's and been it's, good. And it's uh, probably the most disparity between being appreciated and its effects on our society. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, we... we you know, science is important. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna do the top ten yeah. science New Zealand science stories in a minute, and, oh, and you'll and you'll see. You know, many of these have directly affected us yeah. uh, this year. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's important. And and uh, but yeah, as you say, often a little bit un under unappreciated, right? We we tend to take it for granted. Yeah, and there's also the anti-science brigade, which are really worrisome. That's true. And um, of course, you know, one of the things we've seen this year is a bit of a resurgence of that. You know, I think the, the effects of social media. Mm. Um, you know, we're finding those harder and harder to combat. And um, it's easier to get misinformation out there. Yeah, true. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, look for a video on climate change, and it's you get nut bars as well yeah. as, as everything else. Yep. I've got to re recommend Potholer 54 on climate change. I went through his whole series. Marvellous. Right. He, he actually has a good lash at um, 
Oh, who was the vice president? Al Gore. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. It, yep. it, it doesn't take sides other yep. than here are the facts his, and watch his, them. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. He's yeah. a beauty. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sean, let's go through the top ten, starting in the statutory um, manner. That is the number ten first, or number ten first. in no particular <laughs> well, order. These are, these are, this is the this is the Science Media Centre's top ten list for, oh, cool. for New Zealand. So yes, well they they started off. Here's here's, here's the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite sure how they chose the order, but but plastics. They've been in the news a lot this year. Mm. And, of course, we're moving away from um, single-use plastic bags. Um, and so many people would have, you know, that's that's already started to happen. Yep. Um, you're going down to the supermarket and, and you'll be using your own bags or um, or having to purchase um, bags when you're down at the supermarket. Yeah, just yoink yourself 12 months ago. No one yeah. was talking about it. No, no. And then, you know, a whole raft of stories finding plastic just everywhere. Like, yeah. you know, plastic waste um, is just getting everywhere into our ecosystem and uh into, into animals, into things we eat, into us, yeah. no doubt. I think it was the marine biologists that put the first flag up for this thing too, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, so interesting to see, you know, when there is... When, you know, when there is a big problem, we can mobilise and we can we mm. can change the way we do things. So yeah. that, that's been, you know, both sobering to see the, the extent of the problem, but also, you know, quite encouraging that we've actually responded to it. Number nine. Mycoplasma bovis. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is, this is, actually, this is something that's directly affected me because I've, I've been on the science advisory group um, for MPI, which surprised me greatly as a physicist. Um, but I... I I study networks, um, and some of the work I do looks at diseases spreading on networks. And of course, there's a there's a there's a great network of farms, and animals are moved across these farms. So we've been looking at that angle. Mm. Um, but the big news is that actually the government took a gutsy call and decided to eradicate this. A lot of countries yeah. live with it, um, so it's just something that that is present. Um, we caught it very early, so we we got it very early. It was a now or never moment, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and and we've we've chosen to go ahead with uh, eradication, and so far so good. I think the news coming out of MPI is is pretty good. A lot of bloody heartbreak for farmers. Too, oh no, though. absolutely not an easy thing for yeah. uh, for farmers to cope with. Um, but again, you know, it shows the importance of a strong biosecurity system and and the scientists that back that up. Yeah. Okay, number eight. Um, meth houses um, and the and the Gleichmann report, of course, the great moral panic. Yeah. Um, and this debate is still playing out, actually. I don't think it's going to go away um, soon. And this was Peter Gleichmann's sort of last act as Prime Minister's Chief Science Advisor. He put out this report saying that the standards that we've been using to clean up in particular state houses, um, but also other rental properties, mm. were way too way too high. Mm. Um, and in fact, the, the the people being evicted from state houses for um, for relatively um, uh, innocuous you know, innocuous contamination. And you know, there's, there's, there'll be still a debate about what level that should be set. Um, but his report basically said that there were no ill health effects. I recognise um, the drug addicts. They are always the ones that know if there's stuff there because if there was, they'd be licking the walls. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You don't see anyone going around scraping no. up um, uh, deposits <laughs> from from houses to um, to keep themselves going. So, and it is the demon drug of the day. Yeah, but it is. It's exactly. It's just. It's just a thing that that you know. Um, government wanted to beat up on, and um, and everybody got caught up in that in that panic. Yep, they got fooled actually, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, Number seven, uh, meningococcal disease. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a deadly strain. Come you on, know, these, Northland. Yep, we're always you know we're always vulnerable to these um, uh, to these strains and these particular types of diseases. You know, you can you can get immunised against them, but of course, you know, people today aren't necessarily. Uh, following through on immunizations. I mean, there's there are people who, who um, 
I think they're harmful, um, mm. and who 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 challenge the the medical evidence around the safety of immunisation. But you know, all the evidence is that these things are are safe, and they're very important for our health. Mm. Um, and these diseases also, you know, they tend to hit poorer parts of the country harder. Mm. Um, and so it's up to you know us that that in the wealthier parts of the country to make sure we're immunised because we provide some protection to to other yeah. people. Yeah, and part of that story, unless it's a different one. Um, I really got to stand up and applaud the tragic family that lost the kids in, was it Samoa? Yeah. And they said, no, it was a rare and weird thing that their kid died because of a reaction to um, vaccination. They, of all people, would have had the right to scream anti-vax. Yep. They didn't. No, no, no. And, you know, with any medical procedure, there's always a, there's always an element of risk to it. And, yeah. um, and we, you know, we've got to weigh those things up. I know a doctor decisions. who was just about to give um, a vaccine jab. I forget, don't know which one it was, to a baby, a kitty, toddler. And the toddler had a seizure uh. just before she was going to oh, really? give the jab. Right. And she said, I really wonder yeah, what yeah. would have happened if it if I'd been five minutes early. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Far out, yeah. Um number five. Yep. Um halfway. So so our climate change policy, right? With our with our change of government, change of emphasis, um, we've we've um, decided to um, to really go hard to decarbonise our economy. That's going to have big implications for us over the next few years. Hopefully it's going to give us an edge over green technologies. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the one of the things, right? You know, some great you, opportunities for new technologies. If you get in early um, yeah. and decarbonise your economy before other countries, you've got opportunities that yeah. um, that perhaps other, you know, fast followers or, or people, countries that are just following it won't have. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting times as we, as we move to decarbonise yeah. the economy. We've got some advantages you know we've got a lot of um, we've got geothermal which is not completely zero emissions um, but is relatively efficient we've got hydro lakes so we're, we're kind of starting from a good position mm. and and for us no it's a, nuclear though no nuclear so that's something we might want to think yeah. about um, but of course our transport fleet is still running off um, carbon yep. um, uh, fossil fuels and our agriculture sector is a big emitter of methane so, yeah. um, so we're going to we're going to see some changes now, as some we people move may, to may say, yeah, we, what difference does a tiny place like us make well you know why not do our bit anyway does yeah that... and I think frankly right with <laughs> the right of the state of the world at the moment someone's got to show some leadership yeah. and uh, and you know I'm glad it's New Zealand frankly good, good. Number six, is it? Oh, look, more biosecurity <laughs> issues. <laughs> I mean, look, this is not going away, and particularly with climate change, right? Yeah. As our climate changes, we're going to find um, that there are new organisms that, that pre- you know, previously wouldn't have come here because of the because of the climate, or they would have got co- killed off in our winter. As things warm, we're going to find new organisms coming into the country. This year, we've had, what, stink bugs, myrtle rust, um, yes. and, of course, um, Cody dieback, um, which has, you know, been probably present for for a long period of time mm. but is really the the implications of cody dieback are starting to hit us now now it's getting around yeah it's, it's, it's it spreading. may even be endemic but because lots of people are running around yep yeah yep. so um so can, you know expect to see these stories continue yeah. i mean i'm pleased to see mpi putting some science funding into fighting these things they seem to have sort of sat on their hands for yeah. a while yeah. um, around some of these issues but they certainly um this year they've really uh, stepped up and, yeah and, and the government's recognized its importance too and um thrown a bit of cash at this carry dieback research that's right yeah, yeah. um gene editing 
back in the news again. Uh-huh. Um, so, and again, I don't, you know, this is not this is not a story that's going to go away. But you know, last time we were talking about that Chinese scientist that mm-hmm. had gene edited um, those uh, babies. Yep. Um, and so it's you know it's been used in humans now, um, and there's going to be increasing pressure on us economically to to use that in our agriculture sector. Maybe even using it for predator-free New Zealand mm. um, to try and uh, fight predators and keep our ecosystems alive. And so this is this is a debate that's not going away. There are some people very, very opposed to mm. any kind of genetic uh, technology. Um, and, and uh, you know, some, some of those people are scientists, but, but overall, most of the science community, these are tools that they want to use and mm. they feel they need to use in order to, to do their jobs. Um, so we'll continue to see debates uh, about that. Um, Possums, stoats, weasels, that sort of thing and rats would be rats would be marvelous if we could get them just to breed females that's the idea yeah so so some of these gene drive technologies can can do exactly that yeah so, um, but the possum problem the Australians yes. don't like that idea <laughs> no 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 so uh, um, yeah. so I'm not sure if uh, yeah I think rats but yeah possums would have to be you know we'd have to be very cautious I mean there are ways of, of making these things have making these technologies have limited lifetimes so that they will mm. eventually switch themselves off. But, of course, you know, to, to be completely confident about that and to be able to reassure everybody and the Australians mm. that, that, that we're not going to do something wrong, well, that's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. We've got more genetic diversity of uh, mustelids in New Zealand than they have in Britain. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, they had oh, a bottleneck since they brought them over. Right. Well, um, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's end that. <laughs> Do you want some? Yeah. Um, 1080, again on the radar. Oh. This, this seemed to have, um, for a while, had gone off the boil, um, but we've seen renewed activism about 1080. And, of course, there was the recent story about the, the birds that were dumped on, yeah. on the steps of Parliament. Let's shoot one to make a point. Yeah. Bloody so, hell. Um, yeah. Yeah. What can I say? I mean, again, we'll continue to have debates about it. Right now, it's the most effective tool we've got for keeping our unique biodiversity um, alive here in New Zealand. It's like having old people out of their homes onto the street to show exactly how awful it is. Yes, and, and yeah. <laughs> say no more. Okay, are we down to four? Uh, well, couple left. Um, firefighting foams. Of course, these, these um, you know, I'm not a toxicologist, but this seems to have been a, a, an issue that's been around for a while mm-hmm. and perhaps we're just gaining awareness of and, and particularly, um, you know, number the, the Air Force has been using these these foams for fighting fires. You know, when a plane comes in and, and crashes, you know, they're, they're dealing with very volatile aviation fuel, so they do need specialist firefighting foams. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that you know, they're toxic and, and, and some of the toxicity remains behind um, and potentially gets into groundwater. Um, so that's an issue. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be watching that. There's, there's more reports to come out mm-hmm. um, about that, um, but potentially a, a, a hazard leftover from, um, uh, from firefighting at, at airports. Okay. Yeah. And then the last big story, of course, this mental health has been on the agenda this year. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Again, I don't think this one's going away. I think um, we've got a lot more that we could do, a lot more we can learn um, about the mental health in the community and how best to, to deal with it. Um, and, you know, the big report that, that, that came out this year um, from one of, the, one of the science advisors and, and, and one of the mystery, ministries, yeah, telling us how much, how much further we've got to go. And, of course, in, you know, in New Zealand, we know we have a very high suicide rate mm. um, and we've really 
not got to grips with what we'd have to do. To, what the uh, to hell is going that. on with young women self-harming? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's this is uh, a new thing. No, that's right. Yeah. X. Over so, the last ten years. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we're not living in the perfect world um, and there's a lot more we can do. And a difficult thing to get to the bottom of. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Is that it? So that's our, that's our top ten that's brilliant. this year. And thanks uh, Science Media Centre for that and all their help during yeah. the know year as well. They do tremendous work. Th- they are. And love working with those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, we did a... We did an evaluation of them. We used um, <laughs> to, did use some mathematics to to look at how effective they are, and uh, we measured the the when they put out one of the expert reactions, we measured the half life. How long does that person's name stay in the media? And so it's about six months. Um, so it's quite okay. effective. So you, if scientists, if you're listening out there, get get on the science media centre's radar, and you'll yeah. they'll put your name in lights. And actually, more importantly, journalists. For God's sake, use it. Absolutely. Yes. You don't need to guess. No. No, you can find an expert. All the experts you need right there. And they do just tremendous work. So good one. And thank you so much to the Royal Society as well for lining up so many great scientific interviews this week. And a big thank you to our whole science tag team, Matthew Egbert, Rochelle Constantine, Emily Park, and yourself, Sean Hendy. I hope to see your name in lights with some amazing discovery sometime soon. <laughs> we'll, we'll be working on that, Graham. Good for yeah. you. All the best with your research. Cheers. Cheers. And you're a great science communicator. Cheers. Weekend Variety Wireless. Astronomy Today with Dr Grant Christie. Grant, greetings. Hi, Graham. Uh, you've been absolutely stunning over the years, one of the best science communicators, and I've always enjoyed our piece, having an abiding interest in astronomy. So um, thank you very much. This is the last one. It's been a great pleasure, Graham, and uh, very stimulating discussions and topics we've covered, I must say. All right, we have a couple of links, as usual, our astronomy picture of the week. Voyager 2, it's entered interstellar space. If this seems like deja vu, um, you can be forgiven, because it was Voyager 1, wasn't it, that got out first? Voyager 1, yeah, 2012, I think. I think it passed through the helio, what's called the heliopause. That's yeah. the end of the effect of, it's beyond, that. that that's the, the sort of space that's beyond the effect of the sun's magnetic field. It's still within the sun's gravity, but these craft are travelling too fast to be kept by sun's gravity now, so they're really gone. They're really gone. There's no, mm. Nothing can stop them there. Uh, so it's been a very important scientific question to work out just exactly how far does the sun's magnetic field go before, uh, you, you know, you lose its protection or... Yeah. yeah. So that's really the, the the working definition of the edge of the solar system. Okay, there's a lot of cometary material, the Oort cloud, way, way, way beyond where the voyages are, but they're just going to pass through that like it doesn't exist. It's, they're, mm. they're gone. Mm. Um, is it still sending messages back saying, hello, I'm here, or if anything useful? Yeah, they're, they're still in communication, but they're still reading instruments. That's how they know they reach the edge of the helios. This might left my dumbest question for the last <laughs> thing, because how would it know otherwise? That's right. They've got instruments that are still just working. They're still just hanging in there, and they're getting signals back. And they're is measuring. it just going beep? Yeah, so the magnetic field suddenly just dropped. They've got a magnetometer on board, and it just oh, dropped like okay. a brick, and that's the signal that they've been through the heliopause. It's not a sort of like a 
pure on off. It takes a little while, but they could see that that signal was crashing over a period of months, and now it's definitely oh, down okay. to basically the uh, intergalactic uh, into stellar space. Yeah. levels that you'd expect. It's amazing that the damn thing, st- that its magnetometer is still going. That's right. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. 41 years. Yeah. 41 years it's been going. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what their plans are for the future. I think they're planning to keep you know, in touch with it while it continues to broadcast. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah. and be the you know, right thing to do. Millions and millions and millions of years from now, it might be encounter some... Yeah. Yeah, it's extreme Star unlikely. It's extremely it, unlikely. But, but it was it, a great idea to, to stick a record on there and, a, right, and well, a picture of what our the, stupid bodies look like. These could still be drifting around in the galaxy of like a billion years from now. Yeah. I mean, they'll look pretty ragged by then after the cosmic rays and everything else has yeah. sort of damaged them, but they'll, they could potentially be found. Mm. Okay. Or potentially be the subject of a Star Trek movie, which it was. Vija. Oh, was it? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't see all the stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was Voyager had gotten yeah. brains and turned itself, and Voyager was the god oh, of Voyager. Oh, okay. Anyway. Well, must look that one up. Yeah. Um, our clearest view yet of this tiny asteroid, Bennu, you can have a look at it on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage. Uh, this is crystal clear, isn't it? Yeah, this is just a sweetener, though, because it's uh, basically it's taken, its images now are sort of resolving things down to a, sort of a couple of feet on the surface of Bennu. So this is this little... Um, half-kilometre-sized uh, asteroid. Mm. Um, the amazing thing that the images show is how good the Earth imaging was. So before it left uh, Earth, um, you know, radio telescopes were bouncing radar off the surface and imaging it and trying to work out what shape it was and what the texture was like. Um, and they got it pretty nice, right. And even on, in the southern hemisphere of this little asteroid, there's these two great boulders that you can see. Um, the Earth-based observations estimated they could see them, amazingly. Good, they could, no. They could detect them, but then they estimated them to be about 10 metres across, which were, they still were stick-out things. But now we know they're 50 metres across, so they didn't, that was about almost the only thing they didn't get quite right. Okay. Even, the, even the little craters that we can see, just as the shallowish craters, the Earth-based observations got those. So, so they, that's great. So it means that the mission which was planned around those observations is really on the money now mm. because it's, it's pretty much what it was planned to look at, and that's the way it turned out. No surprises on that ground. Mm. And it's, what is it made of water? These yeah, this is uh, so the initial uh, That's imagery a comet, of not the an surface. asteroid, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, yes, you would think so. But the, what's the thing is here is that they're looking at rocks. It doesn't mean that there's a little, you know sort of like surface water or ice sitting there. It means that the rocks that oh, they can see on the surface are hydrated. In other words, they've got water bonded into the into the rocks themselves. Mm. And the way that happens is that those rocks in the past must have been in contact w- or formed with liquid water. Liquid water. Liquid water. So basically this this object that we're they're visiting now has, is, is rubble from a smashed up collision of something that was much bigger that actually was big enough to have liquid water. You couldn't have liquid water on something like Bennu because you need to have, for a start, you need to have um, uh, an atmosphere or something like that. So it's, it's it'll be an interesting sort of key to the early solar system. Could it be a bit of junk from Thera that hit the Earth? Well, I don't really know. I mean, I'm sure we'll get some sort yeah. of constraints on that argument in the future, but yeah. uh, at the moment it's too early to say. But uh, that's just, a, that's just a, a sneaky little and very intriguing observation that's just come out.
Yep, far out. Okay, uh, you can go and have a look at that thing, the best picture yet. Looks like a UFO. Um, on December the 16th, this comet, 46P, Vertanen, um, is going to be... Are we going to see it, first uh, of all? That's what it's, people it's, give it's, a damn about. Yeah, it can be seen. I mean, you have to sort of have a chart and sort of at least binoculars. Uh, oh. You might... Uh, recognise it if you were using your naked eye in a very dark place, but the moon's going to sort of mess the parade, basically. The moon will be nearly full when it's at its brightest and closest, uh, when the comet's at its brightest and closest. So it's it's just probably just visible to the naked eye. Um, it's really a photographic object or a telescopic object. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, I know some of the astrophotographers in New Zealand have got a wonderful uh, range of, uh, with great skills. So they, they're taking quite nice pictures of it. But, I mean, yeah, I, I haven't uh, tried to look for it myself. So. Okay. It's a comet moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, damn a, it, it's damn an interesting, it, that's it's an stupid interesting comet. comet. But this is one of its close passes to the Earth. It makes them occasionally, and this is one of the closer ones. It makes me sick. I want to want Go away, we should shoo it away for some raid. Okay, China's Changi 4 probe. This is heading to um, Pink Floyd's favourite side of the moon. That's right. (laughs) It's not, of course, dark. The far side, it's stuck. It's the moon stuck with the Earth. It just can't it's stop right. looking it's, at uh, us. It's, it's Who are you looking at, moon? Well, it's kind of like terra incognito. I mean, it was it's, it's sort of area that we haven't really explored. We've got photographic, fine detail images of the back side of the moon, mm. now, uh, the far side. It doesn't look anything like this side, though, no, does it? No, no. Well, that's that's a very important thing about how the um, you know the solar system formed and everything else. The the side that faces us is slightly heavier than the other side because it got hit by these monstrous impacts and that's what those big dark blobs are on the full moon. Right, so the, the, Those the, are seas, impact craters. the seas we see on the moon, yeah. the dark bits, that is one of the reasons why it keeps looking at us. That's right, because the it's slight, the moon's slightly denser and some of that's because of the objects that impacted and made those huge impact sites. Now, when those huge objects hit the moon, uh, they, uh, they basically filled up with um, lava in due course, and that, so that dark stuff is basalt, just like all around Auckland. The, mm-hmm. the lava flows around Auckland are all basalt, just like what's on the moon, except the moon's basalt is very dry, has virtually no water in it, as our basalt does. I see. You know, but that's the, uh, essentially the same thing. So when you're looking at curb stones around Auckland streets, that's mm. what you're looking at on the moon, pretty oh, much. Okay. So yeah, so the backside of the moon doesn't have any of these big impact sites. So the and gradually over time, the Earth's gravity slowed the rotation of the moon down because a heavy side was ended up sort of locked towards. It's a bit like a sort of setting a ball bearing going in a rounded bowl. It'll always go towards the bottom and become stable right, eventually. So so the backside of the moon is different and. Very interesting project from China here, if it's successful, to land on probably in the first few days of the new year. It's got to land around that time, which is dawn where it's going to land. That gives it 12 days of sunshine to charge its batteries and get organised before it has to get through the night. It's got a plutonium reactor to keep it alive over the cold lunar night. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a little... Well, it'll just be fascinating to see how it goes but mm. uh it's, it's our first ever exploration on the ground how's it going to get messages to us that's the oh, trick yes isn't it? that's the trick because you can't talk directly to it because on the far side of the moon mm. so they've set in place a satellite beyond the moon in a stable orbit and they that acts as a relay so it can talk to both this what's this, you know the little rover on the surface of the mm of the moon and uh, also talk to Earth at the same time. So it, it's kind of they bounce the signals off through that satellite. Right. 
Yeah, very okay. good, interesting project. We'll see. Now, Supernovae. Um, we haven't seen anything quite that exciting in the sky for some time, uh, but a long time ago, some people are speculating that it may have... Uh, our experience of one, it must have been nearby, I suppose, in astronomical terms, um, caused, if not a mass extinction, uh, a, a big one. Yeah, well, we know this happened um, because they've a few years ago they were drilling deep cores in the ocean, in the seabed, and they found uh, isotopes of radioactive isotopes of iron, iron sort of isotope 60, which is... Um, thrown out by supernovae and it doesn't last that long so basically it had to have been they, they can calculate from how much they found that it was 2.6 million years ago a supernova went off in our backyard somewhere near us you know maybe within 100 light years 200 light years uh-huh. uh, and that blast sent away this radioactive iron which came down on the earth and it got buried in the sediments at the bottom of the ocean and now they can find that stuff so that pinpoints what happened Um, but the other thing is that there was a big die-off of large megafauna um, and uh, so a large shark for for example the size of a yeah um, megalodon, Me- megalodon. yeah 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 and so it uh, it became extinct as well as some large land mammals mm-hmm. as well and uh, what they think is that it's the um, uh, the, the particles that came with that explosion or soon after the light hit us first and then the particles arrived a bit later maybe a hundred thousand years mm-hmm. later or something like that um, and uh, they uh, have a great penetrating power so they could actually go down like a hundred meters into the water so anything living near the surface or in shallow seas was very likely to uh, particularly large animals were likely to be extinguished and what the theory is that they these extinctions are related to those supernovae and they also think it wasn't just one supernova there's evidence that there was actually a succession of them in our general vicinity within a you know, few hundred light years of us because our sun is inside a, a, a kind of a bubble that's been blown by obviously by supernova processes mm. so it's a sort of a uh, it's been sort of cleared out a bit of uh, stuff by these supernovae and they so can they know that just one supernova wouldn't have done it so there was some sort of a star cluster was forming and you have some massive stars they go through their life for it quite quickly explode as a supernova and then so probably this is their neutron star remnants and black right. holes are sitting out there as well. So we haven't found them That's because the remnants of supernova, they can look like something like the what's known as the Crab Nebula. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Why, well, can't, that, why can't we a, see where well, this thing was? Well, that's only a thousand years old. So, you know, it, and you extrapolate that forward a million years, it'll have dispersed so far you'd never have known it actually happened, except uh, that there's a pulsar left behind that's the old core of the supernova. So And no shortage of pulsars to pick? No, there's plenty of pulsars out there. So it'll be, uh, it's, it's an interesting story. And it seems to be as each little bit of evidence is added, uh, then uh, it sort of becomes a, a sort of a more coherent and more likely mm. thing that actually happened in our sort of relatively recent past. And uh, these sort of events uh, can trigger. In other words, what the biologists were saying is that these events can be triggered, particularly with the muon particles that are blown out by the supernova. What's a muon? They're just really kind of like a heavy electron, but they've got great penetrating power, so they can actually go deep into the ground and uh, are more likely to damage large animals than small ones. Right. This sounds like an exciting title. You're not kidding me, are you? Just for the last show. Um, tiny droplets of the early, early universe have been created. You can get them at Bunnings... 
for a Christmas gift. <laughs> yeah, this is a very powerful uh, particle accelerator in New York, and they've been smashing things together and trying to um, up the energy of these collisions. They're trying to poke holes in our what's called the standard model of particle physics, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, what they've found is that they or they can slam these particles together and create energy that's so high that that would have been like the universe when it was only like a, a millionth of a second old. So a millionth of a second after the Big Bang happened, this is a sample of what the universe, the whole universe was like. And they're using that to explore and probe the physics of that time. Because one of the problems they have, we have a good understanding of the physics of uh, the Big Bang and everything from about um, a few seconds after the Big Bang, maybe even less than that. Mm. Um, but uh, it's the earlier times where you sort of get, you know, we don't have physical theories that explain these super high energies and the, what's going on there. So this is a probe of that. So, yeah, so they um, they find by smashing different um, particles together and creating these hugely energetic explosions uh, inside their accelerator that they can sort of glimpse what it was like in the uh, first But not for long, I take it. No, no, they're brief glimpses, but I mean, for us, we, we you know, particle physicists uh, work on a different time scale to what you and I yeah. work on. So, um, yeah, they've got instruments that can measure what's happening over sort of billionths of a second sort of time frame. So right, that's a luxury And if something lasts a millionth of a second, then that's like a thousand... Right, yeah. Told. That's a, they can dissect the events. So they're looking for sort of... Uh, um, trying to understand the environment in the very earliest times of the Big Bang, before there were atoms, before there was anything else, there were these sort of events were happening everywhere in the cosmos. Well, hats off. That's a tricky thing to co- try and do on a weekend, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and, you know, uh, you know, the Large Hadron Collider is doing sort of similar things. It's currently mm. getting upgraded to kick into a much higher energy mode. Right. So that should be able to do even more when that comes back online over the coming years. It's called the Fermi Paradox, is it not? We've been hoping uh, over the years that there would be an alien, confirmed, intelligent signal from outer space. The first time anyone really had a go at it, they were going, ooh, I wonder what we'll hear. Is the place just full of alien intelligences? Well, that was a good hope to have. Well, why wouldn't you? They turned it on at the Arecibo um, radio telescope, didn't they? that's right. Sat around and had a joint or something and went, oh, far out, this could be good. Yeah. Uh, Frank, uh, sorry. Um, Kip Thorne, was he there? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, why haven't we found anything? This is the biggest question. It's the Fermi paradox. What's going on? Yeah, well, basically, they, um, you know, the, the idea is to sort of listen to the cosmos and try to find signals. We're looking for not just um, um, life, you're looking for intelligent life, and there's a difference. So, um, you know, we, we could well find... Uh, alien life in our solar system yet, but that's that's yeah. little bugs and things are not quite the same. It'd scale be pretty as, damn exciting, all the same. Yeah, that would but be fantastic. Intelligent that life's would, a different that would be deal. A, a huge thing, and might happen yeah. in a few years if we're lucky. But the uh, but the idea of intelligent life is something else. So the question is, you know, why haven't we found it already? Hey, we've been looking like for thirty years. Um, haven't found anything that tells, you know, there probably ain't much out there. But mm. the reality is that the sky is this huge area uh, and each little part of the sky, there's lots of stars and potentially planets and everything else. So there's a huge three-dimensional surface to search, the sky. In addition to that, there's the wavelength you've got to consider. So in other words, 
anywhere from uh, sort of like laser like like opt wavelengths of light right up to long radio. Your signal could be coming in any parts of that spectrum and you can only look at little bits of it at that spectrum at a time. You can't look at all of it. You know, a radio telescope can't see light or optical light and it can't uh, and uh, optical telescopes can't see radio. So you have to have lots of instruments all looking at different parts of the spectrum and there's a lot of spectrum to look at. So Basically, if you do that sum of the, the total area of sky you have to search plus all the wavelengths you have to search, okay. uh, then it turns out that uh, so far we've searched a one billionth of a billionth of what's to be searched. Oh, I see. So, in other words... We haven't really st we, done a tremendous no, job no, of covering it. We haven't it. even scratched the surface at this point. So that's basically, don't get disappointed, but it might take, uh, you know, another sort of... 50 years or a century or more before our technology gets up to its snuff that it can actually search m faster and with more power uh, and covering more of the more of the potential frequencies and maybe smarter too going and towards smarter, planetary yeah. so, places. So I mean the, the analogy that the authors and this was published in a major scientific journal mm. uh, the analogy they said is it's like trying to sort of say well what does our ocean look like and are you looking for something sort of in the ocean mm. like a megalodon. Um, and you're only, and you're only, you've only got a bath, uh, a swimming pool size of the water to search. And that's so. That's the equivalent. That's about one billionth. We've of a done billionth one swimming pool out, out of the of world's the, oceans. All the uh, world's oceans. So that's sort of basically. No wonder we missed the whale. That's right. So you know, I mean, don't get disheartened that uh, we're okay. alone. Uh, there's still a lot of searching to go. I lurch. I always lurch. I go, oh, there must be life. Oh, it's so rare. It's so unlikely. Um, and then you've got the time factor as well. How long have we been around in the history of just our planet? That's right. A fraction of a bazillionth of nothing. That's right. So, you know, these, these events Ten to the negative be, ridiculous. That's right. They could be a very short spike. I mean, humanity has uh, only got technological in the last sort of century or so um, out of all of the history of the Earth and, uh, you know looking pretty dicey yeah. for, <laughs> for lasting another century at the present time. So. Yeah. And, and what would we be looking for? We shouldn't assume, should we, that we've got it all right because maybe in the uh, 1700s or something, well, Galileo's time, he had a look to see if there were any aliens out there. He might have been looking for smokestacks or bloody churches. Exactly. Seeing if they are having that bad a time as he was That's at right. home. Well, you know, you can see all the early pictures from the sort of 19th and 18th and 19th centuries of what people imagined creatures on the yeah. moon would look like because yeah. they didn't know that the moon wasn't uh, inhabitable. Yeah, yeah. Okay, over the, gosh, it's 13 years um, that we've been doing the astronomy thing. A lot has happened, and why not? Just have a chat about some of the things that, well, I've noticed, you know, things you'd just dream of knowing about have come about over yes. this time. Oh, one of my favourites, probably the... Um, Curiosity, uh, successful landing and yep. zipping about on Mars. That's right. Well, I mean, there's a, I mean, the the number of milestones that have happened in the last decade or a bit uh, are just astounding. I mean, when we started doing the show, we probably knew the existence of maybe a couple of hundred planets. Now we know there's probably like uh, five or six thousand, and it's going to yeah. go up to twenty, thirty thousand very quickly with new satellites. Um, the uh, the mapping of the cosmic microwave background telling us about how the big bang happened and the conditions of that right sort of basically giving us a story from about one second or less 
after the Big Bang happened. So and it's strangely lumpy too. It's, it's not it's, all even. It's, it's got that big cold or hot bit where somebody's bumped into our universe or something. Well, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that's uh, still being explored. But, I mean, uh, prior to about when we started the show, that was all pretty vague. Right. And it's now got a lot. Uh, better um, gravitational waves uh, detection that that's sort of a huge thing not only sort of from point of view of you know, showing that Einstein got it right with his pen and pencil in 1915 uh. it's amazing when you'd even think about that and now we've got the technology actually to detect these things and found merging black holes and merging neutron stars and uh. this is something astronomers have been waiting for for decades and uh, it's just happened in the last year so that's phenomenal I, re I recall talking about the LIGO thing before they made any discovery and thinking they, that was the longest lunch in the world. They just sit down there. Any, anything happened, Bob? No. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Anything happened yet? No. Every single day. Yeah, well, Until you know, it did. Well, gravitational waves, in the next sort of uh, year, there's going to be a big increase in the sensitivity of the gravitational wave detections, and we're going to sort of find lots more of these sort of mm. events of mass of black holes and... Uh, you know, gravitational-related events. The, uh, all the space missions, Cassini. Oh, um, you know, that, that's got to be one of the most that, overachievers, that, that isn't was, it? That was phenomenal. Sort of Rosetta to the comet that sort of got into orbit around a comet and sat mm -hmm. and watched it and travelled with it for a year and a half, two years. The sort of Mercury messenger sort of analysing Mercury, uh, telling us stuff, because, I mean, we really know nothing about Mercury until messenger went there. Dawn and the visit to the two asteroid series, and it's, that's just finished now, and Vesta, mm. that's... Uh, was a phenomenal thing, understanding the asteroids. Um, What's happened to it? Has it landed on it? It's crashed into it? Yeah, it's finished. No, it stays in orbit around Dawn. has now been shut down, but it's in an orbit around uh, okay. Ceres, and it'll stay there for quite a long time, hopefully before it hits the surface eventually. Mm -hmm. okay. And, um, you know, they've got... Um, Oh, Spirit and Opportunity, um, Curiosity, and now a whole yeah. gaggle new stuff coming on with Mars is going to be phenomenal over the next sort of uh, decade or so. And we had no idea what Pluto looked like when no we started idea. this. No, it was a little tiny little smudgy dot. Yeah. And now we know what it looks like as a world. Close-up pictures. And, uh, and New Horizons is yeah. in, in, a, in a couple of weeks is going to be flying by another... Asteroid, the first visit to a true Kuiper Belt object that uh, yeah. we'll have ever seen. And so, Oumuamua, the first thing from oh another yes, that's right. I galaxy. Left off a list. Well, uh, yeah, sorry, no, another no, solar that's system. another thing. You know, astronomers have been waiting for a century to see a, a visitor from another star come flying through our solar system. So that uh, we only got a brief glimpse, but we're going to see a lot more of these in the next decades as telescopes get better mm. and start finding them uh, easier. Um, the, uh, well, the sort of just particle physics, if you like, but the discovery of the Higgs boson or the detection of the Higgs boson predict mm. predicted by Peter Higgs back in the 1960s, a brilliant piece of uh, insight, physical insight, to wait that long mm. to get a Nobel Prize is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. And well, they, uh, don't, they don't divvy them out like a lolly yeah. scramble, do they? And then Gaia's mapping the galaxy, uh, so that's going to, in the next uh, five, six years, is going to tell us the motions of all the yeah. stars within our chunk of the galaxy, which will tell us how the galaxy formed. Getting your head around how amazing that is, is something else. Yeah. Because you think, oh, we know what the galaxy is. We know, astronomers know what the stars are out there. Yeah. You don't. No, no, this is uh, going to totally rewrite just about every book in yeah. astronomy to do with stars and the galaxy and other galaxies. Because what we learn about our galaxy, we can infer to others. And of course, um, Jerry Gilmore, a mm. sort of famous New Zealand academic, is uh, one of the leaders at Cambridge University. 
university. And thanks for throwing him my way for an interview. That oh, was just yeah, tremendous. No, he's he's marvellous, and uh, it's just such a outstanding sort of project. Yeah. Um, you know, the neutrino telescope that finds these ghostly particles from space down in the in Antarctica, buried in a cubic kilometre of ice below oh. uh, the South Polar Station. Um, Jenny Adams, a New Zealand astronomer at Canterbury University, is one of the principal people in that project. Um, so, uh, and that's sort of giving us a view of the universe that uh, we've never had before, and it's now working very well, and it's made some really important discoveries in the last couple of years. Yeah, because neutrinos just don't care about almost anything. They just go right through yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's right. You know, most of them are travelling through us all the time and just don't... But mm. So it's really, you know, they only get one on a, a, some squillion big number actually detected but part of the white bait still important and uh, these are things produce neutrinos high energy ones are produced by some of the most violent events in the universe um and if they, we could just see the damn things we'd learn of it and they come to us straight you know yeah. because they're not traveling uh, they're not affected by that was my favorite astronomy else. picture of the week ever the sun at night yeah no kidding because it was the neutrinos from the sun, enough had been grabbed to actually image something that looked like a blob of a sun. And it was the sun yes. as seen coming in through the earth. In neutrino. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it is crazy when you start putting your head around that. Yeah. But, so these, yeah, so these particles are passing through us all the time and, yeah, we're not aware of them. Yeah. And, it's, uh, and I'm still bummed off a bit that we haven't found a supernova in our galaxy since 1604. Yeah. We're way overdue for a nice close supernova. I had 1987A back in, this, but that was in a neighbouring galaxy yeah. close by. That was very important. But hey, you know, come on, give us a break, space. Give us a supernova. Eta Carina? It's going to go, isn't it? Eta Carina, sometime. Sometime. It's a, mm. it, that could be a... Well, there's a whole lot of big stars, Betelgeuse and so on, but... Yeah. Um, there must be some lurking away in some gas cloud that we haven't seen that's just yeah. going to go bang one day. Come on. Yeah. All right. Now, 100 hours of astronomy in January. Um, when's that happening? Yeah, that's a public outreach event, worldwide one, so stay tuned in your neighbourhood. There'll be astronomical societies putting out notices um, uh, and 100 hours is, uh, well, in certainly amongst the uh, Auckland and at Stardom Observatory, the idea is to be open for a whole 100 hours. You can just come in and look through telescopes. And lots of centres all around the country will have similar things going. So, um, yeah, it's a good time to get out and have a look through a telescope if you've even never done it. Grant, I think you're one of the finest science communicators out there in such a difficult subject. I've really appreciated just entirely selfishly um, doing these because it keeps me up to date with stuff. So thanks for oh, it's been a, being it's a good been a blast, Graham. Cheers. Really has. Thank you. Uh, weekend variety wireless. Just a heads up for tomorrow night. Michelle Leggett reads us a poem and tells us why it's good, and a media sick tag team because Paul Cassilis decided to come back and say goodbye tomorrow straight after eight o'clock. And we've got a double skeptics. Uh, event tomorrow night as well. Susie Wiles and Mark Honeychurch for Skeptical Thoughts. Very good evening. It's nine o'clock. <laughs>